Josh and I get nautical in our jet skis, which speaking of, when are you taking yours out of the water? Are you going out again? Yeah, it's out? It's out. Oh, that's too bad. Because, the water temp's still okay, right? I almost went yesterday, but I, I couldn't have time. You could still go. I I find it to be a huge distraction this time of year. I'm just too busy. You're yeah. too busy. And I feel September guilty every day yeah. that I know it's sitting at the marina and I, sh like, sh it's a beautiful day out. It's 80 uh -huh. degrees. Why aren't I? So I close the pool. And you I, do. And I put the jet ski away and I'm just, that's, that's it. Yeah, it's I over. get it. I totally get I it. I got we, one more. Got I have my, I, is, what's your last one? Is, is that the maiden voyage? No, it's your first one. Wait, what? What's your last voyage? Is it your bond voyage? Um, bond voyage. The maiden voyage is <laughs> the, the first one, isn't it? Bond the bond voyage. voyage. <laughs> bone the voyage. Final voyage, I guess. Good trip. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, what is, uh, what is the final voyage? I don't know. The final voyage is when they fire uh, arrows uh, flaming arrows into the sky and it hits your What is the flying vessel? voyage called? I'm asking Google. Oh, uh, there is not. The swan, it's my swan song. The final, final voyage. Um, so the San Francisco Bay is like rough. That's not, that's not like the Long it's Island Sound at all. It's really rough. And here's the thing. These boats, because they're like really paying attention to the weight and everything, they wouldn't have motors. So these guys have to be good enough not only to like get out there to the race course on time without a motor. They have to get home. To get home. And there's like oh, a wow. narrow channel that they have to come in through to get into. It's called the St. Francis. And it's like the, the channel is bordered by like this massive stone wall. <laughs> and then like a bunch of other expensive boats. So like you're tacking up this like narrow channel. It's pretty intense. Um, like somebody gives you directions and they're like, if you, if you, if you see Alcatraz, you've gone too far. Yeah, what are we doing? Yeah, with that? yeah. <laughs> It's true. Put it on the wall. Can we put it on those purple All right, things? So we use the headphones because Why? you're going to hear yourself in them. Yeah. And you're going to know if you're too close or far from the mic oh, or if you're talking I'll hear too myself. Well. It yeah, won't be like an yourself. echo, though. No, it's yeah. great. Okay. No, it's great. Okay. It might be weird for a second. Yeah. But it gives you a sense of, oh, I'm talking too close or too far. Yeah, stop that. I'm just, I'm, I have to make sure everything's working. You Surely you're aware of that. Uh, Mike, give me a market check. Surely you oh, can't be we serious. Uh, <laughs> we are on the lows. New lows. Well, yeah, we're there. Is it new lows for the year? How many well, points? if it's new lows for the day, it's new lows for the year. Sure. Actually, that's not true. But all of yesterday's gains are gone. Where is the S&P? 36.14. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. We closed yesterday at 37.18-ish. So, bit of a head fake. So, this is like the real, like this is active. Yeah. Yeah, we're you're 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 on what's called the hot mic. Okay. So, like all right, that. how are we doing on time? We need another minute. Another minute. Another minute. I mean, a couple minutes. Unbelievable. It took a few minutes to install. All right, more. let me bang out a few trades real quick. Then. <laughs> are you putting on some hedging ones or taking them off? <laughs> no, I would take them off right here. So, Josh, while we're waiting for Duncan to get ready, <laughs> love you, Duncan. Uh, look at this year for year change in global app store revenue on Apple. What, what is it? How is that possible? Oh my goodness. Global app store rep. This is from Bank of America. Global app store revenue declined 5% year over year in September. What is that? Less internet usage? Why would app store revenue decline? Recession? Maybe post COVID people are going out more. They don't well, they get, wait, I, did their cut decline? Their 30% rake? No, like there's an advertising want, slowdown, right? yeah. and a lot of the a lot of the revenue into the app store is coming from Facebook and Google Apps, and there's a there's like a meaningful slowdown in, in advertising spend. I could only imagine. I could only guess 
that's where it would be coming from. Where's Where's Apple right now? Bad. That's uh, gonna be bad. Down bad. Remember, uh, oh, six percent is a big. That's is a, it down six? And one forty one was. Uh, oof. Eve. Oof. oof. Remember, like. <laughs> Two weeks ago, we were saying King Apple relative yeah, to the S&P. Yeah, it says 141. Apple relative to the S&P hit all-time highs like two weeks ago. It did, but it pulled back off the August high. So mid-August to whatever, like a couple weeks later. So it showed signs of exhibiting downside leadership. Not good. Now, they shouldn't have done this during the week that Buffett is in Cancun. Because I feel like he would be supporting the stock right now if he... <laughs> I don't think he has Wi-Fi so where he is. So JC says triple tops aren't a thing. I don't know if, what you would call this. What do you think? Is that a triple top or do you not believe in those or is that just – I'm not a big believer. Okay. Um, that would be like too extended for it because it requires like the, you know, sort of Amish pattern and then a support level that's broken. So it doesn't really have that. Sorry. That's okay. No, it's, <laughs> I was looking for non-confirmation. No, okay. but it's I'm obviously – that's obviously a resistance level though. Yeah. 177. Doesn't have to be a triple top. Is, was that Apple? That's Apple. Okay. Yeah. Oh, down uh, shit. Down six today. This might be its worst, worst two day decline in a while. Mm-hmm. Is that going back to the June? Lo- We're not at the June low though. No. It was like no, 133. It's like 130 yeah. something. Yeah. 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 That's and right. that there's a big Fibonacci retracement level 127 ish. Let me see this. That's bad. Yeah, it's not good. So I put, um, I don't know if you saw this morning's note, I put some risk metrics in there, and this was like kind of one of them. <laughs> yes. What do you call that note? The, the uh, head start the or something? Start, the starting line. The starting Another line. sailing reference, like the starting line of the race. I love Regatta. it. Yeah. Are we about to get nautical right here yeah. on this podcast? Let's do it. I think it's a thing that could happen. <laughs> so are you, are you in Manhattan a lot now? Uh, not too much. Just when you have meetings you know, or Yeah, it's like, right, because I don't really have a home base here, so I find myself, like, floating around to, to hotel lobbies. Yeah. <laughs> um, I might try to be in town more, but um, my husband's in town three days a week, so, you know, yeah. meet him for dinner and stuff, too. Right. Yeah, it's always good. I kind of like coming back. Yeah. I did two days this week. You did? Baby steps. So your office seems pretty full. Yeah. Well, you know what? We have a lot of young people, and they don't want to sit in their apartment. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't either. No, you of know? course not. Like if you, you were have li- like a studio apartment with the bed in the background, right? Too. <laughs> think like think back to your think back to your early twenties. Imagine whatever that I don't know if you lived in. Where'd you live? San Francisco or here? San Fran. So imagine your apartment in your early twenties. Oh Would you no. want to sit there five days a week now? No way. No way. It's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Like- so they, you know, we have five thousand square feet. We have air conditioning. Yeah. Their colleagues nice. are here. Good lighting, good, yeah. good spot next to the park. Yeah. We have Chipotle next door. Like, what else? <laughs> so NASDAQ is about to make you, NASDAQ's about to make year-to-date lows. Mm. 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 Can't even bounce for more than a day. It's a bear market. Yep. It's what it is. All right. Coming in with three claps. All right. Let's do this. Let's do this. What episode number? 64. Welcome to The Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by me, Michael Batnick, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. 
clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Today's absolutely phenomenal, outstanding, in my humble opinion, episode of The Compound and Friends is brought to you by Ground Floor. Duncan, here's who they are. Ground Floor is an award-winning wealth tech platform offering high-yield, short-term real estate debt investments directly to the general public. And when I say directly to the general public, I'm talking about almost 200,000 users with over $800 million invested on the platform to date. If you want to learn more, where do they go, Duncan? Groundfloor.us. Groundfloor.us. Compounded Friends, episode number 64. Thank you, John. Katie, I wrote this awesome introduction for you. And by when I say I wrote it, I mean someone wrote it for me, but I'm going to read it. Katie is the founder and managing partner of Fairlead Strategies, an independent research... You're nodding. I could do it. Trust me, I got it. An independent research firm and advisor focused on technical analysis. Prior to forming Fairlead Strategies, Katie spent more than 20 years on Wall Street providing technical research and advice to institutional investors. Welcome to the show, Katie. Thanks for coming by. Thanks. Yeah, good to be with you guys. You excited to be here? Of course I am. Uh, I forget where I first started to either watch you or read you. What were the, what firms did you work at prior to Fairlead? Oh gosh. Yeah. Where would I start with that? You know, I started my career in San Francisco Mm -hmm. and I worked for a buy-side firm. Do you guys remember Wall Street Week? Yeah. Louis Louis Rukeyser show. Um, There was one of the elves was Frank Cappiello. Okay. So I picked up a job. My first job out of college was under him. The elves were like his regulars. Yeah. His regulars. Like our JC Perez. You got it. Got it. And so that was my first job. And I was sat in this big office, um, hand charting point and figures. I know. (laughs) Because that's what was back that's then. what it was. I didn't even have email. You had graph paper. Um, that's right. And okay. honestly, there's no better way to stay close to the market, right? Um, and yet, here we are with. Uh, you know who says that too? Louise Yamada always says, "I still do my charts by hand." I think for that reason, mm-hmm. so, because it like forces you to f- really focus on what you're putting on the, yeah, on it's, the graph. It's the day-to-day, right? Just right. knowing you get that close to it. Um, today, of course, that's going to be a little rough for those hand charters. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay. So that was your first exposure to technical analysis by virtue of who you worked for. But you stayed with it. And yeah. not everybody that starts in a discipline on Wall Street continues with it. So there was obviously some element to TA that really uh, resonated with you. Yeah, and you know, honestly, it started before I got to um, that shop. It was actually in college. I had an internship, and I went to, it was at an advisory firm. They had on their desk the point-and-figure charts, and they were from uh, Dorsey Wright. Do you guys know Mm -hmm. Tom Dorsey? Big personality in our um, small industry. And he just it was the best mentor for me. So I worked for him in college for a couple of years. And oh, then so I the, so, so they I got was you like early. I was yeah, <laughs> I was on the track. Okay. I was already into, you know, I was sort of a math nerd. I was into finance. Um, so I was already into markets. Um, and I guess the way I think about the world was more a sort of left brain and it really resonated with me. Right. And and that was just my path established very early on. And I'd say the formative parts of my career were on the sell side. I worked for Morgan Stanley when I first moved back to New York City okay. under Rick Bensignor. He taught me a lot of, oh, yeah. of the methodology that I use today. Uh, worked for MKM Partners for nine years and BTIG most recently for four years. How would you describe your style of technical analysis? Are you pattern, the supply demand? Like what, what, what is it? I would say primarily top down. 
um, and oriented to indicators. So it's all about the indicators to me because I think that's where we can get that sort of mathematical takeaway. Is it a buy signal? Is it a sell signal? It's binary in a way. Um, and it takes out some of the guesswork and that's what I ultimately So top down do. meaning like market level, index level first and then what are the sectors doing and then what are the stocks doing? That's right because okay. I believe and this, this year is a great example that the top down influences are so strong and if you've got that wrong, like you're pretty much wrong in like 70% of the stocks like that you're owning. All you need to know is dollar and rates, uh, right? Like that type of thing? Well, nowadays, yeah, yeah. the macro picture well, no, but is so like, key. To, like to your point, yes, you could look at 300 stocks a week if you want to, but it, I don't want to say cheat code, but if you understand that the market is in a very well-defined downtrend, yeah. you will probably get less excited by any of the charts that stick out among those 300 because – you already know you're fighting upstream. Yeah, completely. And and I mean, we still do the bottom-up work. We still look at a lot of charts, hoping, I think, to see something different yeah. than what we're getting from the major indices. But in a bear market cycle, it's like everything is going down. I mean, there's no stone or no stock left unturned by it. So, you know, we really defer to the S&P 500. We also start long-term and then kind of drill into the closer time frames. Long term is going to set the tone. When you look at the intermediate term gauges, you'll give them more weight one way or the other, depending on the long term setup, right? So we know that we're in a downtrend with negative long term momentum. Well, then when we look at a MACD buy signal or some kind of buy signal on a weekly chart, we're going to be less likely to believe it, right? It's, right. you know, breeds more skepticism around certain Right. Everything, sus everything is suspect as opposed to everything is confirming like bullishness. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you, look, I, my analog for what's going on right now, and this might be like availability bias because, you know, what I've personally lived through, but when we were in 2021, I was saying this is 1999. I really feel like this year, 22, reminds me so much of like my formative experience from 2000, 2001. This doesn't remind me at all of 08. Like- it, I, I'm sure there's some elements that are common, but and I'm not even saying technically, but just like the nature of the types of stocks that are getting hit the most, mm -hmm. the fact that it started with the most speculative stocks for a year right, right. before it started to hit like everything, mm -hmm. like all of those elements remind me so much of the 2000 bear market, but you've probably looked at this a little bit more closely technically. Uh, like does, does that – idea resonate with you? Or? Yeah, for sure. I mean, okay. they are different in the way that I think duration is going to be an impact. Uh, from that environment, it was, you know, two and a half year bear market. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, that's the takeaway in a way. And I agree. It's like the character of where the bear market cycle has been sort of finding its downside leadership on those kind of like higher growth um, names, like the ARK-K type names. Um, you know, that feels the same to me. Yeah. And um, well, those broke 18 well, months ago. John, can you throw this chart up? So I made this today, Katie. It's it's almost hard to believe the down 80% club. So we're looking at, I'll just go through it real quick. Square, SoFi, BuzzFeed, DocuSign, Coinbase, Shopify, Unity, Twilio, Zillow, Robinhood, Zoom, Roku, Allbirds, Wayfair, Teladoc, Opendoor, Peloton, Stitch Fix, and Bird. These are all down mm -hmm. 80%. And you look at the chart and you're like, okay, Teladoc's down 91, Peloton's down 96, same thing. What's the difference? No, no, no. From a, for a company to fall 
uh, 91% and then go down to 96%. These weren't penny stocks, by the way. No. Peloton, multi-billion Pel- dollar. Peloton was a $49 billion market cap. It's now two. But the difference between down 91 and down 96 is another 55% <laughs> decline. It's a good point, right? So, and- like, th- these are, I mean, it's massive. It's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. So, to the point of, like, this being similar to, to the dot-com bus in that respect. Yeah, because right. So, so like, in the dot-com bust, you had companies that people were calling blue chip B2B internet companies. Shopify was. That, it's down, yeah. it's 16 cents on the dollar. Like we were we were looking at, we were, I don't think they were $50 billion market caps then. I think maybe they were 20 or 30, but that was huge at the time. Mm-hmm. And we were referring to companies that had come public in 1998 as blue chip st- purely because they were so big and well-known. But those stocks would be down like 80, 90% like these. Yeah, it felt like it was more about the branding um, than anything else. And they, they, they rode yeah. this parabolic uptrend. The, the hard part about that bear market cycle was how, I guess, um, abruptly it started or, you know, how quickly the, the bull market cycle ended. It was like an inverted V. Do you I, feel that this was much different, though? Yeah, a little bit on that okay. on that side of it, just in that we actually had um, our longer-term momentum gauges go roll over in October of last year. And right. that wasn't really the beginning yet. It was more we moved to a neutral long-term bias. We moved bearish in January. But you had more time. That was the top. We had more time. Yeah. Okay, yeah let me ask this. So, so JC, we joke around, but he's he gives me a hard time saying that the market peaked in February 21. And maybe we're like talking past each other. Yes, enthusiasm. All of these tech, all of these uh, arc names peaked in 2021. When do you think the bear market, when do you think the market peaked? I think it was October. So I, I think it was late last year. I mean, obviously some segments topped well before that. And uh, and those segments probably are into a basing phase already. And yet you, you showed the risk exactly of buying into that weakness. I mean, a, a basing phase is usually a drawn out process. We saw this in, at the end of the 2000 bear market. And the retest can be super nasty. Yeah. Just, you know, We're cut, seeing it now. Cut, yeah, cutting out the lows. Yeah, we're seeing it now with, with as Arc. we speak. By the way, yeah. Shopify went from $212 billion down to 33. One. I mean, just wild. Right, and this is the problem about looking or with looking for value in these right. names because we just want to wait for it, you know, wait for the market to be ready to embrace them again. There were there were five major bounces in that 2000 to 2002 bear market. Mm-hmm. There were five episodes where stocks bounced more than 10%. And I think one or two of them were 21%. 20, 25 even. Right. So, so what's so difficult about that and what I worry about in this, in this version, we really had three bear markets then. They were all concur- like one after the other. But if you think about like you had the initial bear market where the dot-coms got killed, the Berkshire Hathaway-esque stocks were really fine mm-hmm. doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then all of a sudden you had the corporate scandals – which was Enron, WorldCom. Those were two of the biggest companies in the market. And so that was another leg down. And then you had 9-11. So you had really three bear markets. So these are the bounces that you're talking about. So on top, those are the bounces from the lows. That was savage. So the S&P fell almost 50. Here we go. I'm sorry. It's on the biggest screen now. Okay. The S&P fell almost 50% in the dot-com bubble. It was worse for the NASDAQ, obviously. But the S&P alone saw a 19, a 21, and another 21 on the way to all new fresh well, lows. And we already had one of those with we the just summertime had a, We just had a, a, a 21% retracement. It doesn't feel like it, though. <laughs> no, that was in the— But people said you've never seen a bear market rally retrace more than 50% of the losses and then make new lows. Another yeah. un- unprecedented thing, right? Yeah. So, so but this is the concern now. So— 
that was three bear markets. It was really one after another after another. So you couldn't recover. Mm-hmm. Like you were almost about to recover from like Enron WorldCom shock. And then the planes are hitting the building. Right. Okay. So the concern now is, all right, we just had an inflation-driven bear market. Mm-hmm. And completely reasonable. We should have. We had a combination of overvalued stocks and 0% monetary policy that very quickly went to 4%. The bear market makes sense. Even if there were a, sh- a recovery here, then it's like, all right, well, what's the next bear market? It's either this maniac in Russia does something, China does something, Fair. or S&P earnings start to get ratcheted down substantially. Like you could almost have a bear market after a bear market. Mm-hmm. So like that, I think, is why there's still so much volatility even if rates are kind of like— And it's it's impossible to know what the next trigger would be. But I think when you see names like Apple crack, right? And Apple was the first go-to for the retail investor yeah. for safety, right? Yeah. So when you take away that perceived safety from the market, that in and of itself exacerbates the psychology that drives the next bear market. And, and it's 7.5% of the market, of the, of the S&P. Yeah, that doesn't help the you. Nowhere to hide, the nowhere yeah. to hide thing. The like nowhere to hide. If you can't rely on Apple, Apple is like an aircraft carrier. So it's like you could sink some of my rowboats. I understand that. Um, and you know what's making new 52-week lows right now? Staples. Mm-hmm. I know. And, you know, we, we showed that a couple of weeks ago. Staples and healthcare were breaking down. So what the hell? And so, so right. So what are we left with right. in terms of long-term uptrends? There just aren't really any. The dollar. The dollar. And rates. <laughs> I know. And, and so not really a lot of people are willing to invest that way. Uh, so it really does um, leave us kind of thinking about the buy and hold strategy, right? Um, I know a lot of advisors feel that markets are cyclical and you just kind of set it and forget it and it will come back. I agree. I think it'll come back. It, I think we're still actually in a secular bull trend going back to the 09 low. You think that's, you think that's intact? I do. Okay. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, 3,200 though between here and there is very uh, reasonable. And, um, Would you, you know, change your mind? Would you say the secular bull is dead below 3,200 on the S&P? You know, it depends on the time frame over which that happens because there's some support levels and trend lines that we're watching to that end. Um, but hopefully we'd have an indication that the sec- cyclical bear is turning into a secular bull before that actually happens. Um, you know, but but we'll be kind of just rolling with it. We want to stay on the right side of the prevailing trend. And I think as as it pertains to the buy and hold strategy, if you can just limit your drawdowns and, and remove, I mean, I, it's hard to be completely out of the market and at a younger age, you don't want to be that. But to reduce your exposure to some degree, it just sets you at a higher bench for when you come out of this, right? So I, I really um, think this kind of environment is a testament to why market timing is so important. I know it used to have a, a bit of a bad reputation. No, so we, we but agree. But why wouldn't you? We agree with that. Actually, one of the premises behind the the way that we founded the firm was that we actually don't think somebody with eight figures in the market should sit there fully invested no matter what happens. Like that's not right. – you can't have a meeting with a high net worth investor who's retired. And say, don't worry, the market always and comes s- back. And, and right. say, yeah. don't but worry, it'll lot, come back. You could say that to a 40-year-old. Do say that. Um, yeah. Well, it's yeah. true, but it's tough. I mean, yeah, they do come back, but how long are you willing to wait? And how mm-hmm. much pain are you willing to endure along the way? It could be 11 years. Who, who knows? And what, if you don't, and what if you didn't have to endure all right. of that pain? Yeah, there just has to be an answer for how do you manage risk. So we, th- we, do we, that, we, we do that with technicals uh, as well, probably not the same way that um, you might do it, but like we – like very early on, we realized like you could take economic data, 
You could take sentiment. You could take earnings. You could like take valuation. You could take all these things, or you could almost outsource that to the the millions of investors who are buying and right. selling on all of those things, and just take price. Yeah. And in the end, when you answer to clients, you're answering to them about price. So price is the signal that we use. And I think we're all comparing ourselves to the S&P 500 when we get those statements. And mm -hmm. um, so right or wrong, like it or not, that's, what that's what's happening. So that's why we use – right. So we don't – on the way up, you're worried about S&P 500 FOMO. Mm -hmm. Like the client is not long enough. It, you know, if they're out of the market, they're looking at the – on the way down, it's the same thing. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like, oh, my God, the S&P is crashing. Am I okay? So we use – S&P is like the primary uh, price signal that we're looking at. But like I, I just – I feel very strongly that all things being equal, you should do very little. So if you are going to be tactical, your tactical model should not force you into doing trades all the time. Yeah, I so agree. Then we're talking the longer about term approach. Right. So then we're talking about like triggers that aren't overly sensitive but sensitive enough timeframes that are relevant to a wealth management client versus Completely. a hedge fund. Yeah, that I so. understand. So there are five names in the S&P 500 that are within 5% uh, of their 52-week high. How many? Five. Yeah, oh, my amazing. God. Are five. They <laughs> and it's Citrix. It's, it's do, they, Citrix. do they all make cheese and crackers? It's Citrix, actually, it's Citrix General Mills, Humana, Mills, yeah. Eli Lilly, and Nielsen Holdings. There are 187 stocks that are within 5% uh, of their 52-week low. And that's the breadth, right? Yeah. So so broad participation on the downside. We actually got an oversold reading in breadth coming into this week, but it looks like it's not Does mattering. oversold matter in well, a bear take market? Citric, take well, Citrix off your list because that was a, an LBO from January that I guarantee you Elliot wishes they never they never did. Well, we all uh, have a, some mulligans in our right. portfolio. But <laughs> does, does oversold readings matter in a bear market? Um, you know, for short periods, they can. And it just depends on how bad it is. And right now, it's seemingly pretty bad. So we're not getting the reactions that you would expect, especially when they're so widespread. I mean, we came into today with a 91% reading of stocks in the S&P 500 that are oversold based on our daily stochastic measure. And that's a very unusually high number. So we would expect normally some kind of rebound, even just days in duration from that, especially we also had a bunch of DeMarc signals. We call them DeMarc signals, short-term counter-trend signals that are derived from uh, Tom DeMarc's indicators. Can you explain that to us? I feel like that's- yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because DeMarc, DeMarc indicators are in a lot of your work. Mm -hmm. But so, a lot of professional technicians like swear by it, and most people just don't know what it means. Like Josh was on TV yesterday talking about the thirteen or whatever. No, I was talking. I was talking about a Demar account, but then I realized there's not enough time on TV to like even get into oh, yeah, like you why that might it. be relevant. Katie, why don't you please well, explain it for us? They're hard to explain. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's explaining like a mathematical no, it's formula, right? I do understand <laughs> it. It's exhaustion but in either the, direction. But what are the numbers measuring? What are we looking at? So think of it as having probably some basis in the Fibonacci sequence, which is something that is recurrent in nature and also in markets. Um, Tom DeMarc's a brilliant guy. I think he was even up for the Nobel Prize for Economics at oh, one wow. point as, as a nominee. They gave it to Barry Ritholtz that year instead. <laughs> Yeah, but Tom was, Tom well was right there. Tom um, was right there. Yeah, and, and so Tom has just developed this suite of indicators of which we use his two kind of primary base level indicators. And they assign little um, numbers to price bars based on certain qualifiers that he back-tested like crazy and found to have relevance in terms of identifying potential inflection points. So our goal is to 
not only know what the momentum is behind something, but if something's exhausting itself. And that's the goal of these See? indicators. No, I know it's exhausting. Yeah, but it's, I'm, it's exhausting. It's like signals. how extended is a trend? When is the rubber band going to snap back mm -hmm. in both directions? But so what's interesting about this indicator, as far as I can tell, is this is – people say that technical analysis is part art, part science. It seems to me that this is – Pure science, or are you assigning these numbers, or um, is it done automatically? No, it, it's I'm like a reporter. Okay, yeah, right. So it's purely me, quantitative. It, it really is, but but in how you're using them and applying them, that's where the art comes. So the interpretation in. could be interpretation yeah. because, it, like you know, we talked about it with the longer term picture, that's going to influence how we're looking at a daily signal or a weekly signal. Yeah. So we're going to be less likely to listen to the oversold buy signals. Um, this event happened to have tons of the signals, which is when we really pay attention. It's when you have collections of signals. We also pay attention when a lot of our market internal measures flash green all at once. So when you have not just like percentage of sold or not just the VIX, not just the put calls, but a collection of, of these what, market wait, What makes them turn green yeah, when, they're all, when they're all extended to the downside? Is dark red, That's does right. dark red turn yeah. into green? <laughs> yeah, so they, okay. they, well, they're not all oscillators, but most of them are. So you can look back over history and see the market internals. Think about like the percentage of stocks above their 50-day moving averages. That would be a great example of one breath measure that we track. When you have not just one, so that's washed out. I'm looking at your chart right here. It's totally it's, it's, washed it was three, out. It was three percent, out, but they were washed out two weeks ago. Right. They can stay that way, and that's that's the hard this, part, right? So you should point. defer to momentum yeah. before you go to the market internals, and that that's at least in my process. Momentum is still deeply negative. Yes, it is still to the downside. So, and that's the risk. So, when we talk through these things, we say here, here it is. Here's the level of conviction, and here are levels to watch on the downside, just in case they fail, which is apparently happening you, right now. Do you ever get asked by clients, okay, all of these, all of these signals are showing deeply oversold conditions. They're going green, meaning, like they're the, so bad, the they're mean, good. The mean reversion is about to kick in. Do you ever get asked by clients like, okay, so what do I do about it? Do I want to own the worst shit that's like down 70 or 80% for the bounce? I'm just – I'm Are not we, assuming the bear market's over. Yeah. I'm assuming a huge bounce. Or – The leaders. So am I looking for the stocks that held up the best because the buyers will return to them – fastest if the market goes green? Like, what's the right answer? Uh, gosh, I mean, it really depends on time frame, right? Because short term, if you know about short, short term, short term you know bounce is coming, go for a high beta, Peloton? high growth. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to make that's a That's not ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't tie me to Peloton here. It's a trend. Uh, I would never. I would never. <laughs> Let's not get ridiculous. No, but like, theoretically, if you know the you're just in for the bounce. The, the high, high beta, beta names. names because you're looking for outperformance. So what is that now? But are, we saying, are, we saying, are we saying high beta mega cap or high beta? I, there are some semis that would be high beta, but I would say it's probably more like small and mid cap software names right now. Okay. Really, yeah, yeah. really SaaS stocks. And, yeah, yeah. Okay, biotech maybe even. Some in biotech too, yeah. Okay. So, and that's a little bit harder because, you know, there's some binary situations yeah, in yeah. biotech. Katie, you, know. you make such a good point about time frame. Right, because I think oftentimes people are talking past each other, and it's like I, we just have a different time frame. You're yeah. talking about literally like the next thirty days. We're talking about the next you know thirty six months or whatever. So I looked at yesterday, going back to nineteen ninety six, the Nasdaq one hundred when less than ten percent of stocks are above their two hundred day moving average, which is fairly rare. Right, is, that's like yeah. a complete washout. There's never been a period in time for, since nineteen ninety six to today where it was down a year later. However, welcome to 2022, though. Well, yeah, I'm gonna say this probably the year it fails, but between now and a year, it could still go down a lot more, and then recover. 
And and if you look back at corrective lows like the COVID low, we had these same types of green readings, if you will, in the market internal measures, and they stayed that way for about three weeks, Mm. right? So it was, you know, in hindsight, better to adhere to the short-term momentum gauges than it was to believe in these market internals. How do you track momentum? Are you RSI or what are you looking at? We like the MACD, so Moving Average Convergence Divergence Indicator, and it's just based on moving averages of price. Why do you Why do you prefer that? You know, it smooths it out, and we're all about smoothing out the noise. Um, up until today, smooth is my middle name. Yeah, there you go. Noise is my other middle name. And, and it's um, it's treating this day actually even like noise. Um, so we'll see. Of course, by the end of the day. Oh, the MACD a- is not reacting to today. Um, not when I looked last, but maybe that was an wait, hour maybe ago. Maybe you should wake it so. up. <laughs> I assume you would rather be late to the bottom than early. Oh, yeah, Yeah. but by all means. I mean, I think you want always to wait for confirmation. Very important in our process for breakdowns and breakouts because shakeouts are so, or or false breakdowns are so common. So even for the S&P 500, as we get into the summertime low, 36.36, two closes blow to us as a breakdown, not one. You you posted, uh, you wrote about uh, the VIX, and you pointed out something that we've been pointing out on the show all year which is that like VIX 32, 33, I don't care what you think of Ukraine, just buy something. Like that has actually worked really well this year. This year, yeah. As long as you didn't stick around too long. Um, 36 is the high on the VIX this year. We're like 32, 33. That seems to be like blowing out here. The problem with that strategy is that at some point, the VIX is going to run to 44 right, and destroy the, the you. New, the, yeah, the new bench will be higher. Why isn't the VIX spiking? But what, like, yeah, that's, that's what I wanted to ask you about the behavior of the VIX. Given what we're looking at on our screen, I feel like that should be a 2011-esque right. VIX. And it just isn't It's not yet. even close. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there, there's some theories out there. There's really no way of knowing. But people are saying that, well, the retail investor is now hedging their exposure in different ways. Oh, my God. Okay, I don't, right? Who just said that to you? Dude, it's a just theory. Just say I said it. It's a bad theory. Why is she, it a bad theory? All Katie said was it's a theory. It's a theory. I, she said it first, meaning and that's I, the one I'm that's I'm not most. measuring it. I'm not tracking it. But but if you go back and you look at the VIX, it had gotten to that kind of 80-90 level, a 2008 COVID corrective low. Mm-hmm. Other bear market cycle lows were closer to 50. 50. Yeah, 50. But if you look at the 50 reading, the first 50 in a bear market cycle tends to see another 50-ish reading mm. um, within the we next haven't even seen nine months or so. That's what it's I mean. It's 32. What's going on? So but do we have to say, see it? I think we do. Yeah, I think we do just huh. because the, the character of the market. I mean, if you run a comparison versus 2008, Boom. which we have here, it's eerie, isn't wait, it? Wait, um, set this up. Katie, set this up for us. So in the top, it's uh, it's just the past year. And the bottom is 2008. And you can see- The purple see, is 08. Mm-hmm. And see how the comp is, is pretty fair. It, don't don't worry about the level. Yeah, Just yeah. think more about the I hope the, this the comp posture. does not hold. I do too. And I'm not <laughs> big on analogs. They can be, um, yeah. you know, kind of meaningless at times. Can but I, this is can, compelling. So, so I would just say though, like look when that VIX really got going. Think about what was going on. Yeah. And I'm not saying it can't that's happen when, that's again. That's when Lehman failed, right? Lehman is the biggest bankruptcy of all time. The biggest corporations we have now are the ones that have raised the most cash and have the best balance sheets. I don't know that there's even a good candidate for a quote-unquote next Lehman, let alone mm-hmm. Merrill Lynch, Bear Stearns. Like one. Not, right? No, I know. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. And then like 
Madoff is in here somewhere. <laughs> like, so I'm not saying we can't see a VIX 90, but maybe that I, shouldn't yeah, be. I, I agree with you. Okay. I think it, I think it's more of like a 50 reading. So I, I think the takeaway shouldn't be that we get to 90, but rather that we could have a proper volatility spike still in yeah, store for I'm us. With, I'm, I'm with very surprised that. that we haven't had it yet, given that the market just is going straight down. Yeah, and the sentiment, it, it sometimes is just like a slow-moving ship. It doesn't turn at the right times. And and I think that that's the hard part when, you know, people are getting ready to get back in. Um, they're often late because that sort of slow ship of the sentiment doesn't turn at the same time the market does. How right? do you incorporate sentiment into your analysis? And is it different on the way up than on the way down? Yeah, you know, we, we like the transactional gauges like the VIX more so than the investor polls, but we'll pay attention to all of it. And we we care only when it's at extremes, right? Um, Why do you prefer the VIX to the polls? Because it's like what people are doing, not what they're saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's more I'm like theoretically it kind of makes more sense. There, um, Do you remember the fear and greed index? Yes, yeah, Kind of yeah. lost its value yeah. a little bit. I don't yeah. know why. They um, started putting Bitcoin and NFTs in there, that's Stop. why. Oh no! Did no, they no, really? No, I just made that up. <laughs> it sounds like something that would happen. Well, actually, you bring up a point though. With with Bitcoin, uh, which we cover on a weekly basis, we watch very closely on a daily basis as an indication of how sentiment is for that day. So coming in this morning, down four percent or so, and I said it's not going to be a great day, right? When when you can kind of have this very far down the risk spectrum. Spectrum yeah, they look at Bitcoin asset. as like a, a they look at Bitcoin as a 24 hour 7 day a week Nasdaq. Yeah, there you go. No, it's interesting I mean, though. Bitcoin's Bitcoin's barely down today. It's at 19,400. It could be worse, right? And it could be way worse. Well, yeah. it is a store of value, so that makes sense. Um, you talked about 10-year treasury yields having an outside down day yesterday. So mm-hmm. was that was that yesterday? That was, that was, yes. that was British uh, intervention day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So I mean, right at four percent. You shape. can't. Yeah. You can't even start looking at stocks if your day doesn't begin with dollar tre- and treasury yield, right? Yeah, and it wasn't always like that. I feel like, but, no, no, but no, right, no. Now, right now, for yeah. sure. And I always feel like there's something like du jour, right, on the macro front. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, the, these are things that are digestible for me as an equity focused yeah, technician. Sometimes it's oil. Sometimes it's the dollar. So mm-hmm. right. I'm, sometimes it's. Uh, Sometimes it's like European banks. Yeah, like it's always going to be. I don't know. <laughs> right. So we know what it is today. Okay. What is an outside down day in 10-year treasury yields and why should we pay attention to that? Very short-term indication. Um, but when you get an outside down day, it's when the high-low range for that bar encompasses the previous day's high-low range and you get a weak close. So very simple. It just shows like a loss of intraday momentum that's significant. So the range expands, mm-hmm. but then it closes. The and yield it closes itself closes lower. down, meaning mm-hmm. the bond closed higher. Yeah, especially if it closes near the the low of the day. Okay, that usually is a good indication of corrective action, right? So the takeaway, especially as four percent is in line. I mean, I was at a dinner not more than two weeks ago, saying 4% seemed possible. And we said, well, now maybe next year. That's <laughs> yeah. crazy. And see how quickly, see how quickly that, that happens? The last yeah. time we got a weekly candle, like the one that we're seeing now in 10-year, we, we pulled in. I mean, obviously, you know, we'll yeah. see. But. I, I mean, it's not a hard call to make, yeah. right? So, so 4% resistance. The support now is around 3.5, of course, because that was former resistance from the June high. So we have... A, a higher support level with the follow through that we've seen. And I think more importantly, the takeaway is that this uptrend has good force behind it, good momentum, if you want to call it good. And it follows what was a major, 
major reversal of a multi-decade downtrend. So that downtrend had gradually been losing momentum, and then finally, just in the past year or so, we yeah, saw it, it lost mo- the, the it, lo- it lost momentum at zero. That's where yeah, most things that, lose momentum. That it, but literally, that that's how you think about how should the 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 biggest longest running uh, bond bull market end. Probably at zero percent yields. Yeah. It's poetic. Yeah. Seems, seems, and that right. was that's where it ended. So yesterday, the the thirty year UK government bond yield fell more than a hundred basis points. Isn't that wild? I saw that chart. I mean, this is this is this from is from what to what? From f- over five to five under to four. four. So this type of instability in global macro Holy is shit. is, is very this. unsettling. And when you see this and you don't see the VIX spiking, it's just like weird. Like yeah, what, th- what are people paying attention yeah. to? Right? You should have seen the British VIX. <laughs> it, went, it went nuts. Um, can you use can you use demark indicators as effectively or in the same way on things like bond yields or currencies as you do in the stock market? Oh yeah, anything that has that kind of character where it has liquidity behind the price or the yield. Yeah, um, totally fair game. Um, the only time where any indicator would really fail us, and this doesn't just go for the DeMarc indicators, would be if you have a super gappy, thin, sort yeah. of illiquid type of market and chart. Then it's noisy. And- or you have something that's like binary, like a takeover candidate or you know s- some FDA approval is anticipated, that type of thing. Okay. Otherwise, totally fair game, and the rest of it, it's more in the interpretation Right, that when, that we're right or wrong. So, I, like, I'm looking at I'm looking at the way you're describing the market. You talk about short term bias, bearish, long term bias, bearish. But I know you you must have many clients who are like long only asset managers. So you want to be constructive, even though you know like what your view is on the market, and it just doesn't lend itself to what should we buy today. Right. But you have. But they want to. I think they want to be informed by you. But you have to find a way to be useful to them even right. in a period of time where, you know, what their charter says they're supposed to do is just not what you would do. How do – like how do you – how honest are you with <laughs> – how honest are you with your long-only fully invested uh, clients? <laughs> uh, I mean, listen, we have all types of clients. So we don't gear the research to one type. Right. Um, and it really is sort of general in its audience. Let's put it that way. We do have long-onlys, of course. We do have, you know – day traders. It, it just runs all over the map in terms of the composure of our, our client base. And they all want to manage risk, right? Yeah. So that that right there is a primary takeaway where we're right. giving it's other them- other people's money. So they all, want to, they all want to do what's right. Right. So they okay. all want to know what the bias is on the S&P 500 over various timeframes at a very minimum. Many of them like to really track the relative strength because sector rotation can be really important to their strategy. It's really important to our strategy. We find- that it's the best way to outperform. Uh, so, so folks will come to us for that, that kind of relative posturing. We even have market neutral um, clients who just want to, they'll ask the same question that you did about, well, off the low, what are we going to be buying first? You know, yeah. when we, when so that's we, helpful. Right, right, right. So we have ways to kind of look at the market from a very unbiased perspective, mind you. There's no uh, sort of clouded judgment from the fundamental picture. And we can give them our honest view of support levels, what's risk, what's potential reward, what's the prevailing trend. And there's there's just inherent value to that unbiased view. 
but we are challenged in that it, for idea generation purposes, right? What, what do we put out there as a high conviction long idea? And I mean, we've put out a lot of long ideas because we have demand for that. And we, we started a Substack newsletter to that end as just like a supplement to our regular research product. What is it? Well, how do people find that? What is it called? Um, so it is called the Fairlead Strategies Idea Generator. And Too I long. Think- Change it. <laughs> Starboard. Stockton.substack. <laughs> yes, it's, it's something like that. Okay. It's uh, easy to find. But okay. Kate, Josh and I, on our, we have a YouTube show every every Tuesday where we try and make the case for a, for a stock. Obviously, we're not making like, you know, recommendations. But um, last week I was looking and I was like, it's, it's really hard to make the case for anything on the long side individually because, you know, it's just dangerous. So I just said NASDAQ 100 with a one-year time frame. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, and what we've been doing is more short-term work. So we're either like grabbing a DeMarc signal and trying to leverage that with a really, really tight stock. You have 48 hours. It's all about, yeah, it's well, all about the really can tight I read what stop you wrote? losses to manage yeah. risk. Sure. So this is you. Tactics. Maintain underweight exposure to the equity market and risk assets broadly. Apparently, everything is now a risk asset. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> such a bear market. Oh. Uh, dude, bear market and Altoids, that, that could be problematic. That's uh, stay with top-down hedges until a short-term momentum turns to the upside. For example, SPX registers a daily MACD buy signal. Ain't happening today. Uh, after which plan to revisit increased hedges after a brief relief rally. So you're saying like, even if there's like this relief rally that is so long overdue, that's just a, yet another opportunity to sell until mm-hmm. proven otherwise. Yeah, and staying hedged is important. And today is exemplary of why. Uh, you know, when we have a fragile tape like this and momentum is to the downside, that we need that protection. And mm. so that's what we've been imparting to folks. And then within that context, we talk about wherever we can find long-term uptrends. Right now, energy, Mater- uh, utilities, no longer materials. Materials look um, so bad. But we have some little The energy little stocks pockets. held the, the the June July low though. They didn't they didn't break below. Everything else broke below. And they don't they don't have great momentum. Obviously, loss of intermediate term momentum within their long term uptrend. But trying to find like the best of the worst and the best um, of the worst. yeah. Right. So staples you can't find them anymore. Healthcare it's tough. You said um, there. sell stocks that have decisive breakdowns. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, giving them a chance to bounce off support for better selling opportunities. Um, Actually, Shopify is a great example of that. Look at Shopify. It was like holding on to the support level of whatever, 30 bucks or so. You have to be mindful of the stop losses. And I know it it seems like a little bit um, trite or something. I I just feel like— No, you have to. You have to. And and when stocks are in downtrends, you can't just hope you're catching the bottom. Stocks, again— 91 to 96%. Like, that actually happened. These stocks fell another 55% when they were down 91%. I think it can't go lower. They are going lower. Right. You, you said continue to avoid counter-trend positions. What's a counter-trend position? And, and we, we honestly said that all the way through the summertime rally, too. We were uncomfortable with that in terms of, you know, using you that were uncomfortable of what? Of what? Of chasing that rally off the lows. The, um, June, the, June, the June to August. June to August rally. Um, and it was such a big one. It was such a big one. And we got pushback on that. Um, and listen, like it was uncomfortable watching in 19, People were like, Katie, days. when are you going to change your mind? You yeah. Know. Right, yeah. Right. We got a lot of pushback on that call. Um, but we had seen the playbook before, especially as it pertained to those, you know, Shopify types of charts where they come off their lows and then these hard retests can often cut a, you know, a new low. And so we, we were really uncomfortable Brutal. with the sustainability of that. Spotify bounced, uh, to use another 
Opify. Spotify bounced from 89 at the lows all the way up to 126. 89 to 126, now it's back down to 86. Just and, brutal. And, you know, for the people that capture that, fantastic. Great move, But yeah. it's it's a hard recommendation to make because Most it is so hard. Well, it's so hard to capture. Yeah. Well, you, you, you don't know when you, to sell. You, you probably thought, you probably thought move. at that point, you probably thought, oh, I'm, I've caught the bottom. Well, you feel like Kudos it's broken out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It is. It's breaking a downtrend. Well, and then right. it's not. And then no. so many things. It was just wild how these 200-day moving averages acted as resistance, mm. not just for the S&P 500, but for Microsoft and smaller cap names. It was really T- just— Tell me if this is at all consistent with your experience as a technical analyst. So my first exposure to TA, I worked at a brokerage firm. The whole idea of a brokerage firm in the late 90s, early 2000s was like the sales force gets really excited about a stock idea from the analyst— and then they're just calling their clients like, we got to buy this stock, this catalyst, FDA approval, like whatever the thing right, is, right? right? Okay. Uh, 3Com, they're going to spin off Palm Pilot, got to buy it, right? <laughs> so so all this stuff. And then like there's a technical analyst working at the firm also. And people are like, what is this nerd talking about? Shut, shut up. We're pitching 3Com. Like get get out of the way. And so whatever the stocks are that everyone gets really excited about, and then those stocks like start going down. And then all of a sudden, I would see like a little bit of a line outside the technician, like oh, outside funny. his office. Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, man, can I show you a couple ticker symbols? Like, what do you think? So <laughs> Get some respect. So I found that in some ways, the, the technician or the chart, people start like wanting to know more in a downtrend. I've also seen the other version which is that technician will come out with research and they'll say, here's a really great intermediate term trade. Mm-hmm. This stock is working on you know, a 10-month moving average, continues to find support at the rising 10-month, like, like a, a well-thought-out technical premise. And the brokers would be like, yeah, but what's the story? Like, why right, do they, I want to own text instruments? Because my client mm-hmm. doesn't want to hear about the lines on the chart. They need to be captivated by the story or they're not going to send me a check for the trade. So I've seen technicians always be used as like either backup in a downtrend or be dismissed in a bull market when it was story time. Have, right. you, have you like experienced yeah. both versions yeah. of that a lot? Yeah, and I, I think it's gotten better. So how better. angry are you in general? <laughs> I'm no, not I'm too salty. Okay. Um, so so it, it has gotten better. There's um, more respect for technical more analysis respect all and over. Just because more knowledge and more access to charts and more access to technicians, right? Um, so, so 20 years ago, 25 years ago now when I got into it, there was a lot of skepticism out there. It's um, voodoo. Mm-hmm. Right, and you, you'll see that here and there, <laughs> not, but yeah, not much. Not from really yeah. widely respected. Anyone who wears a, anyone who wears a bow tie is just not going to listen to you. <laughs> you agree with that? Yeah, okay. yeah. I don't know. I should be wearing one sometimes. Though. Oh my god! I heard. Um, sorry, I heard Jim Rogers say yesterday that, that this bear that's market—that's a, a bow tie, yeah, gentlemen. Speak, well, speaking of bow ties, uh, Jim Rogers said this would be the worst bear market in his lifetime. He's been around for a while. Come on. The good news is he says that every year. Almost regardless of what's going on. But the technicians, they do get a good name in bear markets in a way. And and I'd say it was really prevalent in 2008. Because they end up being right. They're more right. And they're not precisely right necessarily. But as a group, they're going to manage risk typically better in a downdraft like 2008. And that certainly was when I felt like technical analysis really kind of made its um, name. And uh, But the knock on the technicians in a bear market is that they're going to be at max bearishness like at the bottom, yeah. when a fundamentalist may, not always, but may just be like, 
I don't give a shit what the chart looks like. This stock was uh, 17 times earnings and now it's 12 times earnings and mm-hmm. I'm I'm buying it and you could take your chart and, and t- you know, hit the road. Like there's th- – I, I feel like there's some version of that. Even mm-hmm. though not all technicians will be bearish at the bottom, many of them will be um, because stocks will look their worst, you know, toward, yeah, as they right, get toward the lows. Yeah, right, momentum-wise, right? And that's yeah. why we value things like the DeMarc indicators and why we have this whole, like, recipe for a bottom, right? It's a process, the retest, the support levels – the overbought, oversold measures, the divergences can be really informational. So we do have ways of, of feeling comfortable about uh, low, but we also don't need to be the hero. Well, that's <laughs> a, yeah, you don't need to catch the low, yeah. right? I know everybody wants to be the hero. You don't need to do that. And also, at the lows, Josh was making this point the other day, at the lows, things are going to look the blackest, right? Like, just if you're just looking at price, things are going to look like the world the, is ending. There, the VIX is at 50 right. or 80. But there's also yeah. at the low, it's interesting. It's not the max fear. Mm-hmm. The max fear precedes the low. The low is apathy. The low is don't even tell me what the market's doing because it's irrelevant to me. I've already written my whole position off. I don't even care. Right. I, on the retail side, obviously, professional, hopefully, <laughs> would not get that despondent. But retail investors at a low, are no longer afraid right. because anyone who was afraid has already sold. That's how you got to the low. And then the people that are still long, they've like mentally just written it off. They're just going to stick it out at that I, point. Like you see that in crypto. This is like universal. Mm-hmm. This is universal. Like, oh, well, what's well, the difference at this we're point? We're seeing it in cannabis right now. Um, they just I mean, have those their- those are the worst stocks on the planet. Well, they have this theory, right? And and they're going to just own these companies because they believe in the yeah, theory. yeah. yeah. Um, but also what you're you're talking about to some degree is is how support is established, right? So if a fundamental no analyst feels like, yeah, that, but also a fundamental analyst sees a valuation that, that is compelling and they publicize it and they, you know, it, it makes sense from their, their DCF analysis, whatever it may be, right. then that's what creates the support that does ultimately become the stuff of bottoms. But um, it, it is a process. So I have bad news on that end. Uh, I... <laughs> I forget who tweeted this, um, but this is from Bloomberg. Today, stocks broke through their June 16th closing lows, and if the XPX holds below that line into the close, it would mark a new low for the bear market. The multiple is hovering around 17.9 times earnings. Simply looking at P ratios and taking the bear market's technical definition of a P to trough decline, blah, 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 blah. Um, this would still be the highest of any bear market low since 1957, according to Bloomberg data. Wow. We're talking about the PE. The other 13 instances identified in the past 65 years averaged about 12.6. Mm. The only other time that came close was in 2002, when multiple bottomed at 17. So again, the multiples for the PE are, uh, for the S&P are 18. So if you're just looking at that very crude uh, instrument, we're not there yet. Right. Well, it doesn't mean we have to get there. Um, but we, we know that this bear market cycle has only been in force year to date. So mm-hmm. you, all right. So you are following, let's do internals. So you are publishing U.S. market internals as kind of like a list, but broken up in different categories. So mm-hmm. one category is breadth. So you're looking at advancers, decliners on the NY. Thanks, John. Mm-hmm. Uh, advancers, decliners on the NYSE, and you're looking at, you know, what percentage of the market is oversold, 50, above the 50-day moving average. You got an oscillator in there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then you're taking sentiment, and you're doing fear and greed, AAII, and the VIX. Okay. AAII is spiking. It's over 60. It, yeah, the bearishness. Yeah. Okay. But of course, but that's because these people, these are boomers typically, and they own bonds, right? So. Of course, they should be bearish. Well, so right, then, right. so then you're looking at leadership. You're looking at how many new highs, how many new lows, and then highs not, minus not lows. many new highs, right? <laughs> not many. Uh, yeah, that's an easy one to count. You can do it on one hand. Um, and then volume. So I never 
understood how to read volume as either bullish or bearish. But I wanted to just go through these and ask you like, uh, so how do you weight them? Like what? Because at a certain point, probably near a top or a bottom, these are going to conflict. Yeah, yeah. So you know what? This, If you think about our process or methodology, market internals, like you see here, it's like third. Um, So first is going to be support and resistance. Second will be all of our indicators. So momentum, overbought, oversold, relative strength. Third is the market internals. So we don't place a huge level of importance until we see extremes like this. Then Wait, we can pay you, attention. Can you go through this one more time? What are the three? So support and resistance. When like you levels. Say, are you yeah. so I have I'm not a technician, obviously, but I was never like into the diagonal support and resistance. I think the horizontal makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I don't use trend lines all that much, which is kind of strange uh, as a technician. So you don't but, like shapes. You're not looking for uh, it's so, a Volkswagen. So, we, so you agree <laughs> with so you agree with me. Or we agree that support and resistance are defined by actual buyers and sellers, not like— Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so right, not theoretical. Right. But we do have one model, the cloud model or Ichimoku, that is a little bit theoretical, but it, it's a bit more like a MACD than it is even a normal support and resistance in its derivation. So, so there is some nuance to that, but, but support normally would be like a— former area of buying pressure. Where buyers come back right? in. Or maybe a Fibonacci retracement level if we don't have that. All right, so what's number two? Um, so number two is the indicators. And okay. we we categorize them three ways. Trend falling or momentum. So that's like the MACD. Okay. And then overbought, oversold, that would be like the stochastics or the DeMarc indicators. Relative strength, which would be price-to-price ratios usually. And then we go to the market internals and look for extremes. So we're not like busying ourselves waiting these. We're just saying, okay, do lot, we, this is a lot. Do we have a lot of green? Well, we do that intentionally. So in 2008, we we got burned a little bit. Um, we were just too late because of the put Who calls. Who didn't, sister? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the put call ratios just kept getting more extreme. And we that was like our primary sort of sentiment gauge. And we'd put a lot of weight on it. And it just kept getting more extreme. And we said, you know what? The, um, we'd probably be better off if we kind of diversified the way we look at the market internals. Okay. So that's really what we're trying to do here. We're just taking a bunch and um, letting them guide us collectively as opposed to individually. We're, we're big on diversifying just kind of everything. Um, and so that, if, you had a de- if I asked you, like, what's your desert, what's your desert island indicator, you'd probably throw a lot of these internals out. Yeah, it wouldn't be these. It wouldn't even be the VIX as much as we value the VIX, which is probably our, our best indicator the, on there. The put call ratio kind of looks like the VIX in the sense that, yeah, it's elevated, but it's not spiking either. It's not spiking, yeah. So what would be your desert island if you had one? Not to put you on the spot. I, I think probably price. the, the yeah, MACD, something like that. Oh, momentum. Price, okay. But it, yeah, yeah. So momentum. And, and we generally, like, if you could just stay on the right side of the MACD as your prevailing indicator. I See, think I would go hemline indicator. That's interesting. <laughs> you, you want price. I want magazine covers. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Um, all right, but you're not seeing, so you're seeing extremes in the internals like everyone else is, but it like doesn't seem to matter because this has been extreme really the whole time. Yeah, yeah. So there's something going on there. It's just a bear market, right? It's, it's just it's a bear the market. downside momentum. I mean, the, the momentum on the monthly charts, the monthly MACDs, if you will, I mean, you, it's across the board. And it's still growing. So it's not like we got any real um, respite from that with the summertime rally. And that's why I wasn't a believer in it. It's so interesting the psychology yeah. of a bull and a bear are so different because to Josh's point I, and, and to yours, I think that people don't trust bounces in a bull in a bear market. 
right? Because we're just sort of disinterested. The, the market's going lower. I don't trust it. It's you know, it's it's fake. Market's going lower. But in a bull market, they you will don't, buy the dip. People don't respect the trend as much in a bull market. Mm-hmm. With every not every down day, but. It seems like over the last 10 years, with every big down day, people were ready to call the top. Yeah. In a yeah. way that they're not ready to call the bottom. I understand oh, that. Oh, that's yeah, a good it's point. Like a I haven't thought about that. psychology, right? So they panic a little bit more, yeah. right? So, but now we're seeing people trust their markets. Are, they don't trust Yeah, but that's markets. also like who are you listening to and no. who are you talking yeah. to? Mm. Well. If you're on social media, these people are the most sensitive to market moves of anyone on earth. The regular person is not even aware of things that people on Twitter act like are the end of the world. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think there's like a high level of sensitivity. And so if your gauge of sentiment is looking at tweets, yeah. you're probably barking up the wrong tree. Yeah. yeah, no, it's a good point. I mean, Twitter definitely has its purpose, but it's not for that. It ain't that. It's, it's ain't to that. overthrow the government. Hey, John, can we put up this dollar <laughs> index chart from Katie? Is this yours? Yes. I mean, and talk about a trend, right? So, um, so show us like... What, so when you look at it, obviously everyone understands at this point stocks and stocks are not going to make any upside progress so long as the dollar is like basically disrupting the entire global economy, right? Like that's – we all understand yeah. we're locked into yeah. this dance now. Um, what do you see when you look at this? An uptrend, I, I'd say first and foremost, and that's one we want to respect. Um, all right. I think everyone would agree we see an uptrend. <laughs> what else? <laughs> with, with the cloud, it, you know, the cloud or the shaded area in the chart, that's the cloud model. So that's what we're respecting. And then we adhere to the indicators, right? So notice that it held above the rising 50-day moving average. That mm. is a support level. And then notice also we've circled one of the DeMarc signals, and that's a counter-trend signal, very short-term. Implications are for only two weeks. And we last had it in April, so we're paying attention to that as an indication that we'll get a little consolidation. It could blow off short-term. Uh, yeah, and I, it doesn't have to be dramatic, right? It could just be more okay. grinding sideways back to the rising 50-day or cloud. Could this could this inverse correlation between stocks and the dollar break at some point? Or like it, it probably it will. Yeah, I mean, I, listen, I don't, I don't rely on any historical macro correlations. Well, that's interesting. Why? Because uh, because you can't you rely, can't on, rely them, on it, right? So, okay. so they will matter at times, right? But I, I, I have no way of knowing when they're going to stop mattering, right? So it doesn't. So you don't do this copper gold ratio stuff. You don't. Sometimes I'll, I'll play around with it, but not on a, like a systematic basis. And I'm really systematic in how I approach things. So. Well, you know what's interesting about your approach, and it makes a lot of sense to me, is that you're able to be pretty unemotional about what totally. happened with the market, yeah. right? Like you're yeah. talking, you're very calm because you have your process. Yeah, and it, I, I mean, I prefer being bullish, right? It's, it's a bit more fun, <laughs> but and it's a right. happier conversation with the clients. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we just wouldn't argue with the indicators. I mean, the, we feel like the market's telling us something. And, you know, we, we can certainly be wrong, but that's, we blame ourselves because that's in how we're combining the indicators. It's not the indicators themselves. So we feel like we're just kind of acting as, you know, aggregators of all this information, collecting it and creating an opinion based on that. And it's very factual, um, at least from our perspective, and very mathematical in its basis. We're going into October and oh, we haven't talked seasonality. Well, that's where yeah. we're going now. See how good I am at this? Yep, you're good. All right. <laughs> so there's like a little bit of a there's a little bit of a reputation for October to be one of two things, depending on who's writing the the article for Market Watch. It's either a bear market killer because mm-hmm. the bear ends in October, or it's the most volatile month and it's 1929, 1987. 
2008. Capturing those major dandruffs, yeah. So I know, like, so much of this is just, like, which— like like religion, like which or like which which uh, fairy Sect. tale, which fairy tale would you like to believe in today? All right, fine. But how do you? Because given how, uh, given how method driven you are, what do you do when somebody says, "Well, seasonally, we're getting into like a better time for the market than September." Yeah, yeah. I mean, I care. I definitely care. I want to know that, and and it might influence my thinking to some degree, uh, but not by a strong degree. Um, I do think these seasonal phenomenon are real. Um, you can go back and look at Bitcoin in September. It's like year six and it's down huge, right? Um, so so I do think they're real phenomenon. And I think there's probably a basis in, you know, either politics or macro cycles. You it's know, actually agriculture. Uh, or that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I believe in that. But I'm not going to invest on that. Right, so I'm not going to make a, or base any kind of investment or recommendation on a seasonal trend, um, but rather just kind of let it inform my biases otherwise. Let right? me hit you with this old children's tale from the sea. Once upon a time, before even there was a Federal Reserve, um, money moved around in the form of gold bars, and every September, the farmers would call their money back from New York, where bankers were using it as a plaything. And basically buying and selling stocks and bonds and having a blast. But the farms in September would say, we need the money back because we have to hire people to work the land and harvest everything. So you could set your watch by it. The panic of 1901, the panic of 1902. Because every year, New York had to give up the money, sell all their stocks, send it out to Kansas, Nebraska, whatever. They would pay the farmers, bring in the harvest. And took it out of the market. Right. And and so once that's done, that's the seasonality. So all of a sudden, okay, the harvest is brought in by the end of October. Send the money back to New York and London. Let them screw around with it again. And then you would have like that seasonal trend. Yeah. It's like harvest time. (laughs) So now that's no longer relevant. But that's from a time when like I think three quarters of all men in America worked on a farm. Mm -hmm. Like literally. And then the other 25% speculated with well, their money. And think about the Fibonacci's, right? So the, the sequence is math, it's like mathematical equation, essentially. Um, but the tides are spaced at this, right? So right. There, there are influences that are really hard to kind of grasp on the markets, right? They yeah, but you be, probably stop short of like where a lot well, of Fibonacci people would keep going. Yeah, maybe. But but think about agriculture. Like you're not talking about seashells yet. But we're talking, oh, well, yeah, that there is that too. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, but think about like moon cycles, right? I mean, I, that, that I think about nothing else. <laughs> that influences the agricultural production, yeah. you know, so there's yes. all these things that are, are really interrelated. But not all that measurable. So we spend time on things that are measurable. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with so you 100%. Just price. Like we're going to go with. No, price. it's moderately interesting. I know we're only talking one day here, but gold's flat on the day. And gold's Thank been, goodness. You know, yeah. Why I, do you say that? Um, because, well, it, it has outperformed, um, but we had what well, we have one less asset class in an uptrend. And it's, you know, our supposed safe haven asset. So I say that in part because our TAC ETF owns it. Um, But it it is outperforming, but it's not going anywhere. Can you tell us about the TAC ETF? We didn't even get there. And I don't know if you're like, all right, just like disclaimer, we're not selling ETFs on the show. Okay. So everyone (laughs) relax. For informational purposes, tell us about the TAC ETF. Well, I mean, it's really obviously aligned with our methodology, right? So, I would hope. Uh, um, <laughs> it, it is like the manifestation manifestation of it, um, and you guys are long term in your focus, and it also is that. Um, you know, it's designed to find the best sector trends with momentum, 
And when the market doesn't have that, well, then we'll go to these risk-off categories and diversify it um, so that we don't get caught in like that you know, long-term treasury issue from Q1, yeah. where it was like you, you just had one or the other and right. then you imagine just got killed them Imagine that's your risk off as a 20-year treasury in, in January, February, and March. And we have a piece in that, but right. but now we also have gold. We also have a piece in short-term treasuries. So uh, we still have energy and utilities. And how frequently that, will that trade? How frequently will TAC ETFs positioning change? Uh, monthly. So we're okay. using month-end closing data. Is it pure quant or do you get it's in there? It's pure technical and then it has some quant also in terms of the relative strength rankings. But, but, it's, it's, not, but it's not discretionary or it's not like subjective. It, it's uh, systematic. Right, right. 100% right. unless something really bad happens. Are you, to say, <laughs> are you allowed to say what the AUM is in that? It's about 150 million. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Good for yeah. You. you know how you can make that like 15 billion? How we can 100 extra? I'm listening. <laughs> just like be like Kathy Wood. Just get on Twitter and start mixing it up. What do you think? Yeah. Stir the pot a little Stir bit. Stir the pot a little bit. <laughs> uh, well, congratulations. Wait, on did that. You is that the large? Is that In the March. biggest tactical that's ETF? A, that's incredible. Oh, no, no. You know, there's there's some big the ones. Dorsey, out there. right? Dorsey has uh, Dorsey. some huge ones. Oh, yeah, and yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. you know, my, my alma mater, yeah. if you will. So, uh, you know, with, with the ETF, it's a great way to. You know, you express the sector views, right? And then it can actually move fully risk off, which is not right now. Um, but but with that risk off piece, you can limit the drawdowns, but you're still going to be there in the sectors when the market comes out of it, right? And you're going to be your, there probably. Who's your market maker on that? Uh, we have uh, Vert2. Okay. And are they, is it futures or are they buying like the physical, physical? Well, are they buying the actual it's securities? A, it's a fund of funds. So it's, okay. it's all spider ETFs. Right, oh, so we have cool. four, 14 ETFs that we're choosing from, the 11 sector spiders. In like a full-blown risk-on type of environment, we'll have eight and we'll equal weight them. And that's intentional because if it's like energy outperforming, which it has been, then we'll have a much bigger position in energy than the S&P 500 would. Where that could be a disadvantage is if it's like all about technology, right? I'm still not comfortable with the 11 sectors. It should, it should, um, I was a 10 guy. Right, like the, com- the yeah. communications. Well, they made, they, they threw, no, well, they made real estate its own group. Mm-hmm. It used to be inside of uh, financials, fin- yeah. financials, yeah. but yeah. some of those companies got really big. Uh, yeah, They're shrinking right. now, so don't worry. Yeah. I know <laughs> they, they look equally bad to each other. Well, I've always thought that there was an arbitrariness to like what stock got assigned to what category. So, like the example that I use is like Walmart and Target are not in the same. Uh, yeah, Walmart's a staple. Yeah. I don't really quite well, how understand about, how they figured that out. And what about some some of the credit cards were financial, some were tech. discretionary. Uh, there was some I think tech. Visa might have I been. think MasterCard and Visa might be Dude, and American Express Amazon, is Amazon mm-hmm. is a consumer discretionary. Meanwhile, their biggest category is a staple. It's groceries. Yeah, so the, And I mean, cloud computing is the most right? high-tech. Ah, we're picking nuts. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, these are big stocks, though. These yeah. aren't Here's like minor. Here's how I think about it, though. With, with those um, sort of sector ETFs, you are, in a way, making a fund fundamental um, or, or like establishing a fundamental view in the the companies with the best market caps, right? Mm. Because those are going to be the most influential. So you're, as a technician, I don't, I don't do fundamental research. So I'm letting the market um, kind of direct me into those larger cap names with the assumption that the market's rewarding the better companies, right? So we're going to have an oversized yeah. position by the by default in an Apple. Type you're outsourcing of, the yeah. what to buy, and you're deciding on when to buy it. 
Yeah, so it's market timing, sector rotation, yeah. and relative strength, and then uh, with the asset allocation So piece. people can learn more about the TAC ETF. Uh, what, what is it actually called? TAC is the ticker, so T-A-C-K. Fairly Tactical Sector ETF, and there's a website. Congratulations. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big. <laughs> that's a big launch, $150 yeah. million. Yeah. So that's great. And it's fairleadfunds.com. Duncan, did you learn anything today? I learned a lot. You've been really quiet. Have you been taking notes or yeah, have you been trading? Yeah. Are you trading what, the clothes? What was the DMARC thing? I still am not quite <laughs> clear on that. It's this gentleman named Tom DeMarc. Didn't like Steve Cohen make him famous? He was like Steve Cohen's technician. I mean, he's still dialed in with these really top money managers. Yeah. And, um, you know, and he the, doesn't do any press. He's like in the background. He is, uh, like I said, brilliant. And his yeah. tools have a ton of value. And yet, you know, they don't always work all the time. And that upsets people. And yeah. they're treating it in a way. <laughs> that doesn't work all the time. It <laughs> doesn't work all the time. What you're does? fired. Yeah. So right. there, that there is no holy grail, you know, in terms of technical indicators. So I think it's in how you're combining them that you can really be successful. So when we're using DeMarc indicators and everything else, we're always cross-referencing. Where's that sound what coming from? What the hell is that? Something's going on out there. Something, something in Bryant Park. Park. Yeah, it must be uh, something. All right, Park. we're going to go check out whatever concert it is. But this is the part of the show where we do favorites, and then we let you get out of here. We wrap up. So um, have you brought us any books, movies, TV shows, music, whatever your podcasts, whatever you're into? Like, what should our audience be clued in on? Okay, so I'd say like work-wise, um, I, I have a new friend in um, Austin Hankwitz. Have okay. you heard his name before? Mm-mm. No. He's producing um, really good quality, digestible, like fundamental-ish research um, over Substack. Okay. But I found him what, How do you spell his last name? Hankwitz, H-A-N-K-W-I-T-Z. Got it. His um his newsletter is called Rate of Return, and mm. I think he's just crushing it because for me as a technician, I just want kind of like bullets and headlines and just give me the takeaway. How did he get on your radar? So I read an insider article um, that highlighted him as a TikTok sensation. Okay. And I said, well, gosh, he's got 500,000 plus yeah. TikTok followers. I was curious. I had to log into my daughter's account to figure it out. Um and I thought Were you it was really of what you saw. Uh, yes, in? No, trust okay. me. Uh, yes, of course. And uh, and yet he was just doing this delivery that was so digestible. And and it's also you know macro, and he's very open minded. But I think there's a real art into to delivering it in a way that people that don't follow that can understand it. Yeah. So I, I value his stuff a lot. You know, he sends out a couple things a week, and um, it's a great sort of. 10,000 awesome. foot view. Yeah. We'll check that out. It's the rate of return Substack by yeah. Austin Hankwitz. You got it. Okay. And, um, and then personally, I love Tehran. I don't know if you guys have watched that. No, tell me. It's a great um, show. Netflix? It is, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like nobody talks about it. It's Apple TV, I think. Oh, Apple yeah. TV. Um, hey, Ron. Tehran. Tehran. Like, like in, in Iran. Iran. Oh, oh, oh. I know what it, no, I know what it is. I yeah. didn't watch it. Yeah, it's we good. love it. What is it? Is it like Homeland? It, it, it's definitely like a spy um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, series. Enough. I love that stuff. I love that stuff too. And it, I just think it's really well done and nobody seems to be talking about mm. it. And it's it's a very cool, um, I'd say, view into a different world, right? Okay. Um, and who knows how accurate it is, but it definitely is closer to accurate, right? Um, so it, it's kind of Did a you fun. watch The Old Man? Mm-mm. Did you like The Old Man? I didn't finish it because it got the plot got so ridiculous yeah, I, I that I couldn't stay with it. I didn't love the end. I liked it until the end, yeah. yeah. What about, what was the Netflix show, The Israeli Homeland? What was that called? Yeah, um, Ga- Ga- Gouda? 
Oh, Fauda. 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 Did you watch, watch that? I didn't. Is that good? People love that it? one. People love it. Yeah. Okay. I need, yeah. Put I it on my list. I love that stuff. What are you watching? Uh, well, I I just took uh, Sprinkles to Don't Worry Darling, and this was the craziest oh. movie that I've seen. This is my favorite. So, do you know what it is? Do you know no, anything about it? No. Okay. I know a lot about it. You have to, you have to watch this movie. Um, you liked it? I loved it. Like, I want to go, what is it I called go again? back. Don't Worry Darling. It is so effed up. Like, it is so messed That's up. That's so interesting. The big picture killed it, but I'm, I'm probably with you. You know what? I'm probably with you. Here's what went on with this movie. There was so much controversy leading to the release because there was on-set shit that went on that was, like, really unsettling. This is the thing where they thought Chris Pine spit on Harry Styles or vice versa. Did you see any of this? Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So Olivia he, Wilde directed this, right? Yes. All right. So Olivia Wilde, who is a really good actress, she's married to Jason Sudeikis. There's a controversy with her. Wait, they're not married anymore. Right. During yeah. the pandemic, he like they like split up. Nobody knew why. And then he served her divorce papers while she was like giving a speech somewhere. Mm-hmm. It was like really ugly shit. Yeah. And there's kids involved. Okay, fine. So all of a sudden, she's directing this movie and Shia LaBeouf is going crazy on the set. He's like the lead male role. And who, who, who could have imagined this? Things aren't going well. He's got a very combative on-set persona apparently. So they have to like fire him from the movie or he quits or something. And she replaces him with Harry Styles. And people are like, wait, what? She's dating Harry Styles. Oh. <laughs> Harry Styles is acting opposite Florence Pugh, who's like this red-hot up-and-coming actress. Um, Midsommar, she's great. You, you know who she is? Yeah, I know who she is. Okay. So she's like on fire. Red, her career is like on fire. So she's on set. She's not getting along with Olivia Wilde, the director. Uh-uh. Olivia Wilde's yeah. also acting in the movie, playing her best friend. While dating Harry Styles. And then Chris Pine, who played Kirk, uh, Captain Kirk in the new Star Wars movie. You know the actor. Mm-hmm. Um, he's involved. And there's like all kinds of on-set stuff to the point where they're now showing the film at film festivals and the cast won't show up. Like they won't come to the premieres. Wow. Right. So that gets goes viral on social media, which actually turns out to be like a good thing for curiosity. But then the critics, I think, got caught up in that. And so they didn't give the film good reviews, but people are going anyway. So <laughs> it's so mad the movie is so messed up that I can't. So you can feel like the tension or, or what is it 100%, about? hundred yeah. percent. And everyone's performance is really good <laughs> and really believable. And it's like it looks like a romantic comedy or from the outside, but it's hardcore science fiction. But it's – I can't even describe – I don't want to like give any of it away. But if you want to go see a movie theater movie, okay, this is so yeah. cool. Well, I'm seeing a movie theater movie tonight. What are you I'm saying? I'm actually trying to buy tickets right now. It's not working. Uh, Avatar. Yeah. I can't wait. There's maybe another sk- one. Maybe yeah. skip that. Why? Giant Smurfs. You're an idiot. Okay. You don't know what you're talking about. All right. Giant uh, two podcasts I want to I give you. Uh, Jeff Curry, who's the head of commodities for Goldman Sachs, was with our friend Meb Faber. This is a must-listen episode. Um, and he's had Jeff on before, and Jeff does a ton of um, you know media. You could see him other mm-hmm. places. But something about Meb really knows how to get you know the best out of his guests. Yeah, that's He's good. a very good podcaster. So Jeff was great just talking about the oil rally and yeah. – the super commodity super cycle. The other one is uh, Scott Galloway has a new book, and he was on Dimitri Corfinis's show, which I think is called Hidden Forces. Do you know the show? I don't know how that is. Great pod. Uh, I know Dimitri, and he also had Nick Timoreus on. Oh wow! 
who is like the Fed whisperer. Yeah. So check out uh, Dimitri Corfinas podcast. Check out Meb Faber and go see Don't Worry Darling. Do you have any, besides Avatar, do you have any uh, What's favorites? wrong with you? What? You love that movie? You don't like James Cameron? No. I thought it was good. Overrated. It is weird. You don't, overrated? Avatar? Is, How is James okay. Cameron overrated? No, Avatar. It's just okay. Right. It wasn't like meaningful to me. I guess maybe the time in your life then you, that you saw it, it was like a more meaningful movie. Okay. What, how old were you when the first Avatar came out? What, was it 10 years ago? No. More? 15? Yeah. I don't know. Two, when did Avatar come out? 2009. Duncan definitely Two, has 2009. a hot, You definitely have a, a scorching Jim Cameron take. I, I, I mean, actually not. Okay, great. What's, I was going to ask, though, did, did you uh, did you ever see the video of David O. Russell and Lily Tomlin fighting on the set of I Heart Huckabees? It made no. me think of it with, oh, you should look it up. It's oh, crazy. Like, like on set uh, drama? Just like cussing each other out, shouting. Someone had a camera rolling. It was it was rough. Yeah. Uh, did You you didn't see this movie yet? No. The cinematography in this movie will blow your mind. Okay. It's like it um, it's a it's a community they built in a in a California desert. So it's like palm trees, desert, and then 1950s style houses, because that's when it's supposed to take place. It's pretty. It's pretty that's wild. Cool. Huh? Visually, visually, you'd be in. But all right, we're gonna wrap up from here. Our thanks to Katie Stock. Did you have fun today? Yeah, I did. You were Thank awesome. you so much you for awesome. coming by. I knew you would be awesome. I wasn't worried. I appreciate it. But yeah, we're so happy to have you. Where can people find your? Like, how do people look into your research product or find your stuff? Where do they go? Uh, my website fairleadstrategies.com. Okay. We didn't get into the nautical bit. No, we will though. <laughs> we will next we'll. time. And um, at Stockton Katie. Okay. At yeah. Stockton Katie on, on Twitter. The, on Twitter where you are very and combative. I will, I will never DM you. Okay. So. You won't sell anyone crypto on a DM? <laughs> All right. Katie, you're awesome. Thank you so much for coming. We really appreciate it. Um, everybody check out Katie Stockton's stuff. Follow her on Twitter. Subscribe to her product, etc. You will learn a lot. Uh, that's it for us this week. Duncan, anything we have to say? Oh, no. What are your thoughts next week? See Yom Kippur. Oh, no. What are your thoughts? Uh, Michael will be in. Te- you'll be in Temple, or you'll just. Be, I'll be somewhere. You'll be at home, not not on electronics. Right. Okay. Definitely not. All right. No. What are your thoughts next week? But animal spirits. Uh, new animal spirits next Wednesday. We will see you then. Thanks for listening, guys. Was the warm up? How do you feel? Like you, you feel like you're ready to do this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you guys do it. Such energy.